We've been studying the model prayer. Jesus, you know, was a, a man of great prayer. He believed in prayer, and he practiced prayer. He taught the importance of prayer. And we believe in prayer. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3 and 12, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17, the Bible says pray without ceasing. Now that doesn't mean pray 24 hours a day. You've got to have time to eat. You've got to have time to sleep. But it means to not stop praying. Just keep on praying like Daniel. The Bible says of Daniel that Daniel prayed morning, noon, and night. Daniel prayed without ceasing. And so to pray without ceasing doesn't mean don't stop to eat or sleep, but it means keep on praying every day of your life. Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. Acts chapter 6, the Bible says concerning those, uh, the appointment of uh, the men who were the diakonos, uh, who were the special servants of the church, not referred to, by the way, as the diakonos or the deacons, but uh, they were men that were appointed to look after the Grecian widows that were being neglected when the church was providing food for the Jewish widows. And so the Bible says that uh, the elders, that the apostles wanted to give themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. You notice that. They wanted to spend some time in prayer. And we need to be a prayer, prayerful individuals. I generally pray at every meal that I eat. I pray even in restaurants, not to be seen of men, but I have just through the years become so accustomed to it that I generally pray, even when I go out to eat. And I remember one time reading about one little boy and everybody was at Shoney's or somewhere and started eating and the little boy said, isn't anybody going to say the blessing? And whole big room there, some man stood up and said the blessing. Not even together, maybe 50 people or so in that restaurant. Out of the mouth of children, sometimes we learn great lessons, don't we? Well, this morning we conclude our series of lessons on the model prayer. We'll not be able to complete all of the phrases of that prayer, but we will notice one additional one this morning. The first three petitions are petitions that glorify the name of God. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy be the name of God. Revered, reverence be the name of God. And uh, we are not to profane the name of God. We can profane the name of God by incorrect lives, by living in one way and saying that we're living in another way. This is the way that God said His people of old profaned His name. That's one way that we can profane the name of God. We can uh, profane the name of God by using it as a byword, using it without any meaning. And the commandment that said long, long ago, that thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Not to use God's name in just a flippant way. We are to revere the name of God. 
Then the phrase, thy kingdom come. The kingdom here does not refer simply to the rule of God. It refers to the church. Now I know that there are some learned men that believe that refers simply to the rule of God. And I, I really don't want to debate them. If they want to be wrong, that's their prerogative. Uh, I'm saying that with tongue in cheek. But I really, in the context and in the setting in which our Lord lived, believe that referred to the church. Let the church come on and come. Jesus said in Acts 10, Matthew 10, 23, when he sent the 70 preachers out, that you will not have gone all over the cities of Judah until the Lord is come. And in Matthew 16 and the last verse, 28, he said uh, that uh, the kingdom, the Lord would come during the lifetime of some of those standing here. And in Mark 9 and 1, Jesus said, There be some of you which shall not taste of death till you see the kingdom of God come with power. Acts 1 and 8, the power came when the Holy Ghost came. Acts 2 and 4, the Holy Ghost came. Therefore the power came. Therefore the church came. John was a member of the church. The Hebrew readers had received the church. The brethren at Colossae had been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. When a man is born of water and the Spirit, he can enter the kingdom of God. And then... We noticed uh, the phrase, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we showed how that it's possible for us uh, not to pray the will of God in our lives. That sometimes we make our plans, sometimes even in the church we do the same thing. We make our plans and we ask God to bless us in the plans that we have made. And that's not the order. Joshua long ago, uh, when the Jebusites came and said, we are from a distant land, and they had old worn, worn shoes and old bread that was molded, and they said, we are come from a distant land. And the Bible says that Joshua and the elders of Israel did not to ask God about that matter. They did not pray, thy kingdom come. And as a result of that, the people had to live uh, throughout the rest of their life with these foreigners living right there in their own community, the Gibeonites. And so we are to inquire about the will of God in our lives. And then he said, turning attention to us, he said that we're to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. God is interested that we pray about everything in our life. We pray about every matter in our life. There is nothing so insignificant that God is not concerned about that. And we are to pray even for our bread. Now today we look at the next phrase. And the next phrase says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Matthew 6 and verse 12. Luke's account in Luke chapter 11, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. As the bread is to the body, so forgiveness is to the soul. It is so important that we have a forgiving nature. And whenever we fail to forgive, it does us damage 
as well as many times damage to the person that we are unforgiving. Forgiveness is the central theme of the Scriptures. It is paramount. It is of utmost importance. And tonight we'll be talking about God's greatest blessing to us. And I believe God's greatest blessing to us is the blessing of forgiveness. That's what it's all about. Somebody said, I believe God's greatest blessing is the gift of Jesus upon the old cross of Calvary. Well, that's the method, but the, that's the means that God employed. But the result was that we might be forgiven of our sins. And so we are to be forgiven. Now, I wanted to observe that he uses three words here that are employed. Matthew 6, 12, he said, forgive us our debts. And in his commentary, in verses 14 and 15, he says, For if ye forgive not their men uh, trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. But if ye forgive not men, if you will forgive, God will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. And in Luke 11 and 4, we are asked, Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Let's look at these three words. First of all, there is that word trespasses. The word trespass. Now the word trespass, it means to step across the line. It means, so to speak, that we have a line here and we go across that line. We understand that word. Sometimes people put a sign on their fence and it says no trespassing. It means you cannot go across that line. And so God has put up some lines. God has told us that there are some things that we cannot do. God has forbidden us some things. We are not to steal. We are not to kill. We are not to commit adultery. These are things that we are not to do. We are not, as far as our brothers are concerned and our neighbors are concerned, we are not to gossip. We are not to slander. We are not to speak evil against them. And in 1 John 3 and verse 4, John said, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is a transgression of the law. Now that's one way we can sin. We sin when we do that which God has said you are not to do. Adam and Eve sinned long ago in the garden. When God said you may eat of every tree of the garden except one, but there is one fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you may not eat of that tree. And in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt die. Not physical death, for they lived after that time. But they died spiritually. They were separated from God. That relationship and fellowship was no longer what it once was. And so we are not to transgress the law of God. And we are to forgive those that trespass against us. Those that step over the line into our territory and mistreat us and don't treat us right and don't behave right toward us. And that individual that steps across the line of propriety and right doing, the Bible says that we are to have a forgiving spirit toward those individuals. Then he said debts. That's Matthew's account. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. A debt is an obligation unfulfilled. James 4, 17 says, To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Matthew 22 and 37 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We are to love our neighbor. Mark 16, 15 says that we are to go 
And when we refuse to go, then we are violating the law of God. Now, God doesn't expect you to do what you cannot do. God does not expect a man that is toothless to brush his original teeth. God doesn't expect us to do the impossible. But God does expect us to do what we can do. And there is somebody that you can reach that nobody else in all the world can reach. There is someone that you can influence that no one else in the world will ever be able to influence. You influence those that you know. And there are people that you have a relationship with and you know better than anyone else in the world. And brethren, I believe that one of the great tragedies of our time is that we as members of the family of God are simply not as conscious of the souls about us as we need to be. I am convinced that we just go along and some way or another we have in our mind that individual will not be interested in the gospel. I certainly do not think that we feel that they are not good enough to receive the gospel or that some way or another God does not love that individual. But everybody needs to be approached. Everybody. The greatest thing in all the world that you can do for another is not to pay off a $10,000 credit card bill that they have amassed. That's not the greatest thing in the world that you can do for somebody else. The greatest thing in all the world that you can do for another is not to sit up all night with them when they're sick. The greatest thing in all the world that you can do for another is simply to share the message of the gospel with them. To tell them about Jesus. Now, my mother and daddy never had any course, as far as I know, about how to teach others about the Lord. But I can recall back in the 50s, I can recall my mom and dad often having people over with a little cake my mother would make and some coffee or iced tea. And I can remember my daddy sitting with those people and talking to these people about the Lord. And more than one or two occasions, I can remember us going down to that little white frame church building there in West Huntsville in Huntsville, Alabama, and my dad baptizing somebody into the body of Christ. The church can grow. And I certainly do not want to be judgmental. I do not want to be judgmental. But I want you to know that that is what the church is all about. And I'm convinced that the church needs a visitation outreach program. I don't care how big or how small the church is. And by the way, the churches that are growing and reaching people have some kind of organized outreach program. I say this with all humility, but at Roebuck Parkway and Old Woodlawn, we have average baptizing one per week for the last almost 30 years now. And uh, we should have done far more than that. But one thing that has been so helpful for us has been that in all of those years, we've had an organized program of work that we allow nothing to interfere, nothing that comes between that. And on Monday night, if you are in Birmingham, you can come and visit with us. 
Now, Ed, when I started, I used to think, well, now what the church needs, the church needs, uh, you know, if we could get a hundred people involved. In fact, I was preaching over at Hamilton when midnight night came to Birmingham and preached, and I went all fired up and got back over there, and I was going to teach them Tisdale Shark, and I told them, everybody that loves the Lord, meet at my house on Monday night. I'm going to show you how to lead souls to Jesus. Well, we had 152 people that loved the Lord. At least that's how many showed up. And I'd put the parameter up there. I'd said, if you love the Lord, you meet at my house. Well, we had too many people there. It made my wife mad. You know, 152 people show up. We didn't have enough rooms for uh, people to meet in. But I didn't have to worry. The next week, we only had 30 people. And the next week, we had uh, fewer than that present. And uh, so... Uh, uh, Anyway, we, we had, we had that problem, you see. Uh, we had that, that problem that, uh, that nobody could learn that material. So nobody was really learning that material. We were giving out good material, but no one was learning it. So we just simply took the time to write a close, uh, to use for, uh, these film strips. And that's exactly, uh, what we did. And it is one of the reasons that we've been very successful in leading souls to Jesus Christ. Um, excuse me, I've got a little cut here this morning. I, I was not careful when I was shaving. I don't know whether this will do it or not, but we'll, we'll try to doctor a little bit here. All right. So anyway, one way that we sin is by refusing to go. And I'm really serious about this. I believe with all of my heart that we do need indeed, uh, we do need indeed to show our love and our concern toward those that are lost in sin. And everybody's a prospect. Everybody is a prospect. There is nobody that's not a, not a prospect to obey the will of God. And I, I believe the, the major problem that we have is simply the problem that we are not, we are not aware of all the prospects that are around us. Well, I wanted to say that, and I've got, I could talk 30 minutes on that. But I'll, I'll have to move on because we're tied into this particular phrase. The priest and Levi, they were condemned. They went by on the other side. And in Matthew 26 and 25 and 26, the Lord answered, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gathered where I had not strawed. And so he was called a wicked servant and a slothful servant. And then in Matthew 25, 44, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it not unto the least of one of these, my brethren, you did it not unto me. And so number one, the Lord uses three, uh, three words in describing sin. Number two, it points to the reality of sin. Mary Baker Eddy says, in her book, Science and uh, Health with Key to the Scriptures, on page 1475, that man is incapable of sin. Well, we would know that's ridiculous. We would know that by observation. You look at what some people have done. Why some folks have taken lives of little children. How horrible that is. Think about how, how awful people have treated their fellow man. And in the Garden of Eden, as we mentioned, the sweet fellowship was God, with God was broken. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer points out the fact that, uh, the writer points out the fact that the animals, the blood of the animals could not take away sin. Have you ever taken time to calculate how many animals were sacrificed for the sins of mankind? They offered a, an animal every morning and every evening. 
They offered an animal on the Sabbath day, two animals in the morning and two animals in the evening. More than one million animals were killed. Now think about that. More than a million animals were killed and yet all of those animals could not take away sin. Sin is a reality. Don't think that sin is not real. It is a reality. Well, will God forgive sin? That's our third question today. Will God forgive sin? And the answer to that question is, it depends. It depends. Proverbs 28, 9, the Bible says, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. And so I'm suggesting to you today that uh, our forgiveness is a conditional forgiveness. God has some conditions attached. And I know of no religious people except perhaps a universalist, and maybe they even say that somebody has to at least learn about God. I don't know of anybody. I don't know of anyone uh, that uh, does not say that uh, there are not some conditions that man must meet. But the condition set forth in this prayer is the condition that God will forgive us as we forgive our fellow man, as we forgive others. One of the most frightening verses in all the Bible this is that God's forgiveness of me depends upon how I forgive others. Now, look at how God forgives us. God forgives us totally and completely. We don't practice that kind of condition, uh, that kind of forgiveness. We have what we call sometimes a delayed type of forgiveness. I will forgive you, but not now. I'm going to let you jump through the the, the, the rope, so to speak, to see if you're really sincere. I will forgive you, but I'm not going to forgive you right now. We have a, a, a condition forgiveness. I will forgive you if you will promise that you will never do these things again. That's not the way God forgives us. God forgives us freely, as we'll notice in our lesson tonight. Now, that's the way that we need to forgive. Is there someone that you cannot forgive? How dangerous it is if there's somebody that you can say, you know, I just cannot forgive that individual. I can't forgive them. Well, I have a very dear friend. I thought that man was a really an intelligent person. Whenever I would go in a certain part of this state, that man would drive 25 or 30 miles everywhere, every time I ever held a meeting. And I always admired him and thought, man, that guy is really smart. He, he knows good preaching when he hears it. He, he must be a smart man. But do you know, on one occasion, uh, I had a call from him and he said, my, my dad is up at University Hospital. I'd like for you to come up and pray for my dad. Well, I said, certainly I will. I'll be glad to come up and pray. And I went up to the quarterback towers, and sure enough, that man looked like he was at the point of death. He had all this machinery. He was swollen large, and, and he looked like he was about ready to die at any moment. And uh, so the sister was outside, and I said to the sister, let's get to the family together, and let's have a prayer. And uh, there's a little room right outside the, the quarterback towers there, those uh, intensive care rooms. And I said, we can have a prayer right in this room here. And the sister said, that won't be possible. And I said, what do you mean it won't be possible? She said, well, uh, my two brothers have had a falling out. And they won't speak to one another. 
They won't even come in the same room. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. You see, I knew these men. They both loved the Lord. At least they affirmed they loved the Lord. Both of them went to the same congregation. That would be the only room they would sit would be the auditorium. But they would not eat a common meal. Thanksgiving, the family could not get together. Christmas time, they could not get together and enjoy the holidays. Why? Why could they not get together? Because they did not have a forgiving spirit. Now, both of these men lead prayer. Both of these men lead singing. Both of these men sing, Oh, how we love Jesus. Both of them take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Both of them perhaps think that they're going to spend eternity in heaven, and I'm not their judge. But listen, Jesus said, We are to pray, Father, forgive me of my sins as I forgive those that sin against me. That's the way I am to practice uh, obtain the forgiveness of God. That's the way that God will forgive me. That's the condition that God makes, and that's the condition that I must meet in obtaining forgiveness from God. Well, you say, I just can't forgive. I just can't forgive. I preached in Somerville, Alabama when I was a, a boy, and uh, there was a sister that came up and she asked me, do I need to forgive my sister before she asked me to forgive her? Well, I said, you need to have a forgiving spirit. You need to have an attitude that you're willing to forgive. I thought she was talking about something that happened two or three days ago or maybe three or four weeks ago, but she said 20 years ago, my sister and I had a big fight and said we haven't spoken to one another since that time. Now, I want, you to, I want you to know that Christianity is deeper than coming and sitting in a building and singing about you love the Lord. Christianity goes to everyday life. And the Lord in this particular prayer is teaching us that we must not hold a grudge. We must not hold a grudge. I preached my grandmother's funeral and she was 92 years of age. Dan and I preached the funeral. My grandmother, perhaps more than any other member of our family, influenced our family. I told you about her the other night. Married when she was 15. Made up her mind she was going to serve God, and she did all of her life. From that time forward, she put God first in her life. My grandmother, my, she lived longer than my mom and dad did. And so whenever I would go up in the Huntsville area in a gospel meeting, Within 50 miles or so, I would always stay with my grandmother. When my grandmother was 85 years of age, on Sunday afternoon, she had been reading her Bible. And uh, as so often, before the services started at 5 at West Huntsville, she was taking a little nap. And somebody knocked on the door and awakened her, and she went to the door. And there stood a man outside and said, May I use your telephone? Well, my grandmother said, uh, I don't allow strangers to come in my house. You may not use the phone. Well, he said, uh, it's so hot out here, could I have a drink of water? And my grandmother, I know, I know what happened. I know that a verse came into her mind. 
that even a cup of cold water given in the name of Jesus, Jesus would not lose its reward. And so my grandmother shuffled, her feet not able to be picked up as once they were. My grandmother shuffled to the refrigerator. And there she opened her refrigerator. She didn't give him tap water. She gave him ice water, put it in a glass. And she said to the man, now, you stand back over there, and I'm going to open the door and set the water out here, and then I'll lock the door back. It was a screen door. And I'll, I'll lock the door back, and, and you can come and get the water. He said, all right. So she did. The man, when he had finished his water on this hot July day, put his hand out to give her the glass, and without thinking, she opened the door to get the glass. And that man, 235 pounds, pushed that door open and took the glass and hit my grandmother right upside the face and took my grandmother, 85 years young, into her own bedroom where he raped her. I want you to know that if there was anything in the world that would cause me to become angry to the point of injury, it had just happened. He stole $35 from her at the trial because he was caught. At the trial, he testified that my dear grandmother, 85 years of age, paid him $35 to have sex with her. Well, he got 10 years, got out in two, and, uh, but he marred my grandmother's life. She would say something like this. She would, you know, she was reared in an age of modesty. She was reared in an age of modesty. She was a modest individual. And here, this man had done this horrible deed. And she would say, now I'm going to tell you this one more time. And then I'm not ever going to mention it again. And then the next time I was with her, she would want to tell me that one more time. It was on her mind all the rest of her life. But I've told all of that not just to tell you a horrible deed. I heard my grandmother say when I was up in one of those meetings, she said, you know, she said, I'll never get over what was done to me. But she said, you know, I pray every night that someone will teach that man the gospel and that he will become a Christian. Now, what has somebody done to you that you can't forgive them of? You know, sometimes somebody doesn't look at us the right way or somebody says something about our family or something of that nature and, and we are ready never to forgive them. I'll never speak to that person again. I don't have to be around them. I don't have to have any association with them. I'm writing them off. And we pray, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive those who sin against us. Or forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. I believe that God can take care of those who mistreat us. In Romans chapter 12, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. It is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Do you believe that verse? Do you believe that God is capable of keeping His Word? 
He says in this verse, if somebody mistreats you, that you do not have to be the one that retaliates against them. God said, I will repay. I will take care of them. I have a very dear friend who has a daughter and she became pregnant out of wedlock. It nearly killed this man that his daughter was now pregnant. I mean, it devastated his life. And there were three or four uh, members of the church who, uh, who got on the phone and who talked about him and talked about how sorry he was and all of this for having a daughter like that. And this man had such a marvelous attitude toward these people. And this man did not retaliate. But you know what happened to these people? You know, several of those that had been so ugly to him had their daughters become pregnant out of wedlock. I'm not saying, you know, that uh, that was the method that, that God employed, but I'm just telling you that sometimes we'd better be careful. We'd better be careful. Because God says, listen, you don't have to get vengeance. You don't have to har harbor an old grudge. You don't have to have an unforgiving spirit. God says, listen, I will take care of that situation. And I believe that God has the ability or the power to keep His Word, and I believe His Word. And so the times that I've developed enemies through life, I knew that I did not have to get them back. I knew that all I needed to do was just wait because I know that God, as forgiving as He is, there are some things that He will not uh, tolerate. Well, let us be more forgiving in nature. Will you promise to be more forgiving? When I stand before the Lord in the judgment day, I want to be able to say to the Lord, Lord, there is nobody that I have an unforgiving spirit toward. Not any of my relatives, not any of my brothers or sisters in the church, not any of my friends or neighbors. There's nobody that I want to have an unforgiving spirit toward. Jesus exemplified that. He said, uh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the Greek language, that is in the, the imperative tense. It, it is the, the tense that showed that our Lord repeated this action numerous times. Reading in the translation from the English, it would appear that maybe he said that only one time. But the tense of the language there shows us that this was repetitive action that our Lord said this over and over and over again. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And that needs to be the spirit that I have, the spirit of Jesus Christ, the spirit of forgiveness. If you're here today and you're not a member of the family of God, how wonderful it is that God will forgive you of all of your sins. And if you're present today and you need uh, to be forgiven, maybe you've been harboring a grudge or maybe you haven't, been acting right toward a brother or sister. Don't allow somebody else that, you know, think about it. They have mistreated you and then they're going to be the ones, the ones that have hurt you so deeply and they're going to be the very ones that cause God not to offer His forgiveness to you. What a tragedy that, that is. 
And how wonderful it is that we can have the feeling of forgiveness, that there's nobody in all the world against whom I hold a grudge. If you're here and subject to heaven's call, will you come as we stand and sing?